this is what it can look like. It's not boring, it's not outdated, it's not just minimalist. It can be minimalistic if it fits the brand and that's cool as well, but it doesn't have to be. It can be vibrant and colorful. Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for doers making our digital world greener, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Gael Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact the digital world. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to more responsible technologists like you. In this episode, we go to Gothenburg in Sweden to meet Michael Anderson and to Cologne in Germany to meet Sandy Den Hurt. And we will speak about sustainable design. But let me start with a confidence. We, and by we, I mean the tech folks, whether we are developer, ops, devops, data engineer, etc. We have it pretty easy when it comes to IT sustainability. Okay, 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 okay. I hear you from now, screaming from where you are. Are you insane, Gail, with none of the big cloud providers being fully transparent on their greenhouse gas emissions, the lack of open data and common standards, and the challenge of water and biodiversity where almost everything has to be built, and the best practices for green coding not being agreed upon within our industry? Hello, energy consumption of networks. Oh, I forgot to mention the maze of measurement tools. Okay, 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 okay. You're right. That's not easy. But still, it's less hard than for product folks, whether you think about product owners, product managers, UX or UI designers, research ops, etc. Why? Because most of the time we are aligned with our CFO. Green ops equal FinOps. And better code usually equals less maintenance and, for web developers, better web performance. But when you try to implement sustainable design, where it all starts and actually where the impact on reducing the environment footprint is the biggest, you are quite often challenged by business. This catch-all term refers to sometimes sales, marketing, business developers, or guardians of the PNL. Not that they don't care about sustainability. They do, most often, quite a lot. But they are focused on the bottom line and fed by self-proclaimed communication or marketing gurus with statements like video is everything or the message is the message, etc., etc. In September last year, we had a superb episode with Anne Fabry and Tom Jarrett called Sustainable Design from the Trenches, where they highlighted that this opposition was a myth. I've been wanting to go back on the front line for a while to see how things have evolved, and I'm happy to do it today with two guests who are tooling designers and developers in digital sustainability. Michael, a seasoned web developer, is the founder of Sustainable WWW, a community actively promoting a more sustainable and environmentally friendly internet with resources, wiki, and blog articles. He has recently published his first book, Sustainable Web Design in 20 Lessons. Sandy is an experienced designer and a fellow podcaster. She has launched last year the Green the Web podcast and has recently opened comprehensive online courses on green UX and UI design. On top of it, she is also an active member of the Sustainable UX community. Welcome, both of you. Thanks a lot for joining Green.io today. Hi, very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy too. It's an honor. 
Samwise. So I'd like to start with my regular question, I would say, to both of you, which is how did you become interested in sustainability in the first place and most maybe specifically the sustainability of our digital sector? Sandy, you want to share some thought on it? Of course, sure. Well, I can definitely remember it very well. And I was already in my private sphere, more sustainable in what I wear, what I buy and how I behave and stuff like that. And I was doing a lot of volunteer work and I was freelancing for uh, or at an agency at that time. And they had a meetup coming up and they said, hey, why don't you want to talk about sustainable web design in this meetup? And I was like, sure. And I was thinking only about the social aspects of sustainability in web design and about accessibility and hypocrisy and like the social justice in design and stuff. And I was going deeper into that. And then at some point I found the topic of ecologically sustainable design. I think probably either Tom Greenwood or Tim Frake, one of the first ones that I stumbled up on. And I was like, what? Why does no one talk about that? Or very few people talking about this. Why have I never heard of it before? And it was truly an a aha moment for me. And I went deep, deep, deep into it. It was around Christmas time. And usually I take off Uh, of work during Christmas and New Year's Eve and stuff like that. But I absolutely took every single minute to try to find more information about the topic for this meetup and um, loved it since then. <laughs> well, that's super interesting. The, a, a meetup, an invitation to a meetup was a key. Yeah. <laughs> so just you just have to invite someone and sometimes it triggers a, a chain reaction a very positively chain reaction that's super yeah. cool uh, <laughs> but what i also like with what you shared is that um opposite to quite a lot of people i've met and i i have to admit starting with me you you went the other way on the sustainability journey I, i hear a lot of people the majority of the people i've met they start with the environmental consciousness We need to take care of the planet, take care of uh, human uh, or actually all living forms uh, on the planet. And at some point you realize that climate justice is very strongly connected with, with social justice and that all this question of inclusivity or let's take the example of AI, for instance, that, yeah, of course, it might drag some resources, etc. But there are so many ethical questions on top of it that sometimes it's you know, environmental footprint of AI is maybe only the tip of the iceberg. So we're quite a lot to have shared this road, like starting from the environment toward people, ethics, etc. And that's very cool to see that you can also take the road the other way around, starting from an ethical point of view, questioning, I would say, and then going all the way toward uh, environmental without obviously losing uh, the, the ethical uh, acumen <laughs> yeah. so that's yeah. pretty cool no both is very important definitely for me as well and i don't know it just came in this way and i didn't know that green design was a thing and that it's possible to actually be more ecologically sustainable in 
my UX research, UX and UI design. And I was like immediately in love with that and felt more of a purpose in my job than <laughs> than before. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Michael? Did you experience a haha moment or was it something more continuous? It's a little bit like you were saying, like most uh, most people start out being conscious about the environment. And I, I don't think that I was any exception of that. Um, I grew up in a small city in Denmark. And as a child, I was I was one of those kids, you know, that was always playing outside with uh, with my friends. We were building stuff in a forest, playing street hockey and never really spending time, you know, in, in, in front of the TV or using technology at all. Kind of truly playing outside. And I think that my, my deep connection with the nature kind of comes from there, you know, growing up in a small city, playing in nature, using the forest as your playground. And I think my connection with nature comes from there. And one day I was, I was sitting in Sweden and I was thinking about like, how do I combine these two big interests of mine, you know, the, the nature part and the technology part? Because I, I wanted a way to, to help the environment in my way. And I was unsure if it was going to be like feeding programs or um, going into renewable energy or something. But the best way that I could do it was to, to find a way to combine these. And that's when I, I kind of stumbled into this book by Tom Greenwood, uh, Sustainable Web Design. <laughs> it, it has been mentioned quite a few times uh, on all of these different podcasts. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there is a reason for it because this is the, the book that got me into it all. Like I, I found this connection between the environment and technology. And yeah, I, I would say that's, that's how I got started and became interested in sustainability. From, from there, it was kind of like a ball rolling, like... Uh, I had to learn everything from the bottom up. So I invented the D-plate over and over and found, found my own ways of, uh, of creating sustainable web design. And then I realized that people should not have the same struggles that I had. So that's why, for example, I've, I founded the organization or foundation Sustainable World Wide Web. Hmm. So you avoid people to face the same hurdles that you've experienced uh, starting from almost nothing and that's that's quite cool because both of you you're in a very active sharing mode and actually that's kind of the first question i wanted to ask you rather than listing all the do and don't i would love both of you to share the top three worst examples of design harmful design for the environment that you've experienced firsthand so maybe sandy Do you want to share your absolute number one? <laughs> yeah, sure. I love that question. Um, my absolute favorite number one. Well, there's so many worse cases, but well, one that was definitely striking for me was one um, client of mine as I'm a freelancer. And one client of mine came to me with their website and they had so many different kinds of sliders on their website, even just on their homepage. They had, I think, three different sliders with imagery. So they had up to 10 different slides per slider. So the ones that you swipe um, through. And so many studies show that sliders, no one really looks at them, all of the users barely see the first or the second slide of the 
whole carousel thing and they had up to 10 different slides per slider and then I think it was three or four sliders on one page and that's so much data waste of course but it's just even also really bad UX <laughs> and this just wasted space and the first slider was of course as we had in for a couple of years at the very very top of the page to set the mood but there was just imagery like really just images not even a headline not even an introduction it was just images to kind of set the mood I got it why they did it but it was just those 10 different slides in this slider only imagery no one knew in the first viewport what this website is about and immediately in the first viewport you have so much data waste and no scaled no compressed imagery and that was kind of <laughs> A really fun thing to do because I was like okay that's gonna be easy to reduce that carbon emission <laughs> <laughs> yeah obviously so Michael she has the slider lover card that's a big <laughs> one in her hand huh? so what do you have on yours Oh, it's it's hard to find a specific example because there are so many of them um, that I've been working with over the years. But but I guess one of the one of the bad ones that I've had recently was uh, was a customer that decided to completely redesign their website. Uh, I work in a small company and and we focus on custom code. We even made our own CMS system and, and all of these things. So everything that we build is custom. And we have been working with this client for I think almost a decade now uh, or at least my, my co-workers have so all of the different versions from their website has been piling up over the years you know with unused code and elements for the CMS and now they chose to completely redesign their website and it had to go so fast because here in in uh, in May they're going to uh, launch it on a big event but instead of redesigning the website uh, and choose to to clean up what they already had um, like for example we, we could have built new elements for the new design uh, so that we would have like a clean cut between the different versions then instead they decided to mix between the versions and take whatever you know came from from like uh, older versions of this website so the uh, the end product was that we we had a completely new design but now all of a sudden the code base was mixed between versions going almost 10 years back and now we have no idea um, like which elements are actually being used so we have so much unused code in this project and no way to really figure out how to get rid of it multi-versioned blended website yeah pretty hard to maintain I guess pretty heavy to load. So that's a good one. Sandy, you've got a number two that you'd like to share? Yeah, I bet I won't be able to top that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nightmare, that isn't it? very heavy. <laughs> but um, another example that I'm thinking of is, well, there are several websites that I've seen this with and from clients and not clients of mine that have so many animations and interactions that it's already just too much, way too much. 
and you just come onto the website or application and then you scroll through and you know those websites where content like text and imagery and all kinds of other things are coming in from the sides, from left, from right, from up, from down and everything seems to be moving and then you have parallax effects and then you have other things that are carousels that are auto moving and all kinds of things that are shifting and shaping and then I had this client of mine that had exactly that and was like, yeah, but that's modern and we want to our users to feel like we're up to date and we're cool and all of those things. And I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah, we want to have this website to be very modern and uh, up to date, but definitely, definitely, definitely try to limit those animations and flying in text and flying in icons and illustrations. Just calm down a little bit because it's so overwhelming even for people and for users who don't have cognitive challenges, but for the ones who do have, so to go a little bit into accessibility as well, it's really tough to visit websites like that and animations and interactions. They need a lot of script. So this website was definitely so heavy and to just toning that down and calming a website helped tremendously for the environment, but also for users who might have challenges with it. With positive business impact at the end or yeah. Could you measure something like conversion rate? Or I, I don't know what was the business model of this website, but could you see also some positive business impact? Was actually they wanted to be super modern, but maybe the result was the exact opposite because they were they were chasing away users or potential customers from their website because it was just too visually noisy, I would say. Absolutely, absolutely. We actually did usability testings as well. So talking with users or potential users and letting them go through the website and sharing what they feel about the website, what they like, what they don't like, how they use it. And every single participant in this usability test was like, well, there's just too many things going on. And then all of the times newsletter banners came in as well and just things were all over the place and all of the users were like no I would definitely close this website immediately and once we did the redesign we actually saw that there was much more of users coming to the page staying on the page actually going through the website and then also converting. Okay so Nightclub website, let's say. Huh? <laughs> That's a pretty big one. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> nightclub website. Yeah, I love this one. Uh, Michael, you've got a, a, another one to share? Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a client that I've been working with for a few years now. Um, lately, we have been focused a lot on uh, optimizing for SEO. Uh, and that means that I have finally been able to go through the website and optimize in any way possible, you know, like optimize images, style sheets, like everything I could come across. And at the end of this project, the client chose to um, to switch out the hero element on the on the front page and put in a enormous one and a half minute long video that would have to autoplay in the beginning and with uh, with no controls so every single user that arrived on this start page was like 
forced to watch this one and a half minute long video. And they, they, they actually first allowed me to take that away again once they realized that it really hit their SEO. I can imagine. Des by video instead of Des by PowerPoint. That's um, that's a website version, <laughs> Des by video. <laughs> I love this one as well. <laughs> and let's not talk about yeah, the bandwidth it consumes and the, the, the loading time, I can imagine. And Sandy, what about you? Okay, you've got one last shot. Well, we covered quite a bit of the worst cases already. What I often see as well is the topic of storage, because I do a lot of um, UX designs for applications, especially uh, web applications, business applications, stuff like that. And there is so many things that get collected, so much data that could, uh, gets collected in so many ways, starting from I've seen websites with three different tracking tools implemented. <laughs> Lately, there was one business that approached me. They had, I think, 1,000 blog articles on their website, and they didn't really want to declutter. And I was like, but we have to. <laughs> no one reads blog articles from 10 years ago. No one will do that. Is except of if it's like a really brilliant one and then you should keep it, but it was not that case. And in business applications, I see so many times that data is collected from different kinds of users and stakeholders in the whole system that we can easily reduce. And there's even laws and regulations for that in terms of uh, storing user data when the contract is already ended and things like that, that you have to delete the data and you cannot hoard data forever, especially if it's personal user data. But I've seen so many applications that still keep them. And I always um, say, yeah, we have to get rid of that. And it's even legal uh, requirements that we have to do that. And there is a lot of data floating around that we can just reduce immediately and that is often forgotten because it's not visible in the front end, but it's very much in the back end. Uh, but we still have to do that as well in UX design. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me so much about the example that Jerry McGovern gave in his book when he worked with the health organization with all these articles, some of them having wrong information or, you know, not any more scientifically based uh, information still being on the website because no one was uh, taking care. Not, there were no data steward or no data editor uh, anymore. But Sandy, I must admit that three different tools to measure traffic, that, that's a lot. I mean, I've met countless websites with two because, oh, you know, we had a migration, but we still want to rely a bit on the old ones. But, hey, the migration was two years ago. Come on, let it go. But, um, you know, or the, the specific tool that you've got for a campaign and that the campaign is over for one year. And why do you have this single API call for every page on your website? <laughs> <laughs> that is completely yeah. useless. So that, that's pretty cool. But like, mm -hmm. oh, we could call this one data tsunami. Turning 180 or a point of view now, what I'd love now for both of you is to share one true beautiful example of something that you're super proud of, you know, an inspiring story about a design which had 
true impact on its environmental footprint. All right. One great example would be, for example, I recently or last year, I did a design for a brand from the US who does have home and body care products like shampoo bars and conditioner bar bars and cleaning soap bars and things like that. So very much uh, rooted in zero waste, wasteless production, ethical, organic materials in their products and stuff like that. And then we got into talking uh, through um, common friends and she wanted to redo her website and redesign it, wanted to have an eleva- uh, evaluation from my side. And then I discovered that this website was more than or weighted more than eight megabytes, just the homepage and all kinds of different other pages below were very, very heavy as as well. So the carbon emissions of this full website was just through the roof. And she was very much dedicated to zero waste and reducing her impact in general. And when I came to her and said, well, this is the fact of your website, then she was immediately stunned by it and shocked and was like, well, oh, I didn't know that it has an impact. As we probably all know, have faced this conversation at one point. And then we went into the full redesign of really every single bit. She even has a new technology a different uh, content management system as well. So we rebuilt everything with also coming in new colors and new, so it's a little bit less uh, bright, uh, less uh, white, for example. So we use an off-white in the background to reduce at least a little bit of energy consumption in devices. We use different colors that are more vibrant and darker colors here and there as well. We use a lot less data heavy elements, whether that's imagery or videos. If they are introduced or implemented, they have actually a purpose and are there for better usability and finding the best product possible for the user but also really thinking again about the user journeys because every single click means more data consumption, means more carbon emissions. So really thinking about what are the best ways to guide a user through this website without having to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Plus, there are so many cool assets in there that are about greener delivery, so green shipping or donations made with every single purchase, as well as having little communication snippets of if you buy this shampoo bar, you will reduce six plastic bottles. So you will eliminate six plastic bottles that you would uh, have to buy if you don't use this shampoo bar. Things like that, like those small changes that also educate the user in a very gentle and loving way of yes this is a good step for you as a user to also contribute to a positive change for the environment 
and just all kinds of little bits and pieces we put into this website that I really love, caring more about also the ethical and organic uh, parts of the products. It even has a choice with at least a couple of products to get it with packaging or without packaging, so even reducing more of um, materials. So there's many, many things in there that I actually love and enjoy with this project. It seems that consistency was key here. Like your client was ready into the sustainability mindset. And, and about just, just a side question about the colors, because I've read a lot of debate about dark mode versus, you know, not that many scientific studies are backing it, but we do have some, but in specific context and the colors, et cetera. What, what is your stand on it? Well, I do think that whatever choice we make, even if it's just a small contribution, I would like to consider it. And I know there's not enough studies and like really diverse studies about color and its effect on energy and battery life and consumption. But I see a couple of studies and uh, discussions around that reducing the brightness of colors does help for OLED displays at least. So for example, I started to use less bright white as background colors and just a, thing, a little bit of more toned down off white does help at least a little bit if I do it in every single website and especially in business applications that are used for full days, every single day of a week for hundreds of employees. And just thinking about how can we scale it up. It doesn't all have to be in dark mode, especially that's not accessible for every single person out there. But um, just trying to find more ways of implementing colors in a creative way that might use a little bit less brightness, uh, at least for OLED displays. And what about you, Michael? What will be your uh, most inspiring use case that you'd like to share? Uh, first of all, I would like to say, Sandy, that's that's a very inspiring customer you have been working with there. Uh, I wish I had customers like that. <laughs> I, I would say I'm more like the like the person who works behind the curtains because most of the the clients that I'm working with is not really that interested in the environment yet. So I can put I I can only push them that far. So most of the stuff that I do is is yeah like behind behind the curtains uh, where they don't see things. But I guess the the story I would like to share was uh, was one of our big clients that we've been working with for many years. They they finally decided to optimize their website because uh, they were focusing on SEO and and that gave me the opportunity to go in and focus on image optimization. Um, um, I was I was for example making it so that if they were adding images into um, uh, like a card list element. Uh, where the images would have like somewhat um, a fixed size, then on the back end I would automatically resize these images and convert them to uh, WebP, so that even though they were uploading images on like two to three megabyte, it would automatically scale down and create like an optimized version. I was also doing stuff like removing jQuery and uh, going directly into uh, plain JavaScript and we were moving the whole website uh, uh, to a green host located in Sweden, uh, which is known for, for having more renewable energy. 
uh, we were simplifying the code base, the CSS, uh, like removing code that that was duplicated. So, for example, in in CSS, it's very easy to to write styling that is overriding each other and goes again and again from element to element. So these were some of the things that we were focusing on. We we were also optimizing uh, fonts uh, and trying in as many places as possible to put in system fonts because that would uh, reduce the data that uh, that each user would have to to load and of course also uh, do stuff like reduce animations and only use them in places where they would actually um, Im improve the understanding of what was happening well michael you are an amazing guest because that was my next question for both of you what can you do on your own without asking the permission to no one and you know that that kind of a debate that i hear quite a lot between developers or designers version a being i cannot do that much if not anything, because I don't have the support of my CTO, CPO, the guilds, or whoever is in charge of defining how I should code and, and design things in my organization, versus option B being, well, you know, sustainability is a bit like security. You code security by design, so we should do sustainability by design. And there are a lot of things that we can do just, you know, implementing good craftsmanship without asking the permission to anyone. And obviously, you listed quite a lot of examples, uh, as you say, according to you, uh, working uh, behind the curtains, that things that you've done without needing uh, your customer's approval. So thanks a lot, because that, that was really something that this fine line, depending on the context, is really something that I believe is at the core of the thinking of many people wanting to do things in a more sustainable way, and Sandy, do you want to add something? What would be like the, the top actions, the top ideas um, that someone should implement as a good craftsman without asking the permission to anyone, you know, being in steel mode, I would say? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I absolutely agree that we can do so many things already without anyone else noticing. That is coming to more green design and ecological sustainability. Well, I always find, or what I struggled with most in the very beginning was that I felt like I can only design very minimalist websites now and applications and online shops and I have to reduce everything and I cannot implement anything that's beautiful and colorful and with images or anything that's nice. And I absolutely found that that's not true at all. I can still be very creative as a designer, even with uh, ecologically sustainable design. I always think that I can even be more creative because I stopped from just thinking about this uh, full width image on top of a page, but actually thought in different ways of how can I make this aesthetically pleasing, user-friendly and green. So probably the first things that I changed without anyone noticing that it has changed is the use of images, of having even the permission slip to not use any images at all if they don't fit the brand or the purpose or the content, of using images differently in a more 
yeah, just blurring image edges or cutting off image edges and really using them with a purpose and not just for, hey, here's everything uh, that I found in the database of this brand. The second would probably be the use of text and fonts and all of what comes with that and even designing with fonts and designing with text is a really cool way of reducing data if it eliminates other data-heavy components such as videos or images. Plus, definitely a cool thing that I love is what we already talked about, colors, and of trying to find new ways of selecting different kinds of colors that I haven't thought about before that they actually do have an impact even though it might be smaller than uh, imagery, but it can still have. So those are things that no one realizes that I'm actually doing them. And just being a good UX designer helps a lot as well, because then you think about the user journeys throughout every single website, application, or online shop, and not complicating digital products is a very huge part in yeah also greening the web because every single click counts so really reducing that and just saying hey we're just doing good ux <laughs> is very helpful as well yeah absolutely perfection is rich when there is nothing less to remove not to add and you know it, it reminds me the statement that you can do beautiful things in a sustainable way uh, it really reminds me the the work, but I, I guess you know Nick Lewis' uh, work on uh, the the low carbon repository. Yeah. And this list of yeah, I think it's 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 a great initiative because it highlights that you can design beautiful websites straight to the point, etc., in a very environmentally friendly way. So I, I really love his work, and I think it's a great source of inspiration. Like you know, especially when you talk with a, a user or. Uh, even more important, a customer uh, or a client. And now going the opposite way, what are the actions that you believe you cannot really take without the support uh, of your boss or some kind of support within your organization? When and where do you need help as a designer or a web developer? I guess when when dealing with the uh, the website design, that is uh, like some some of the major changes that you can do is definitely something you would have to take up with the with the client first. Um, like what Sandy uh, mentioned, if you get a permission slip to actually remove images from uh, from the website uh, or web page, or if you decide to start out with uh, with a dark mode design and let the user switch over to a light mode, like all of these implementations is definitely something you would. Uh, that, that I think you would have to run by the client to hear what they think first. And how would you convince them or try to convince them? I would definitely do it a bit like Tom Greenwood says, uh, like don't, don't focus so much on the environmental side since most companies focus on the, the bottom line and the SEO. So try to, to find like a combination between the two. It, of course, it's okay to mention for them that you're doing something great for the environment and, and all of this, but... I don't think that it should be the selling point of it. I can't remember if it was Tom or if it was uh, Jeremy Govan that once said that uh, all of these sustainable implementations shouldn't even have to be mentioned. It should be something that just comes natural to us as web designers and developers. 
I reckon it was Tom, but sorry, Jerry, if I got this one wrong. And Sandy, what would be the actions where you truly believe that this cannot be done on your own? A couple of things cannot be done if you're in a very big corporate environment where there is a huge universe of digital products and you really want to shift all of them. Then you just have to talk with colleagues and with business about actually introducing a more data reduced, but also um, environmentally positive design throughout all of digital products. So that's about the sheer amount of digital products that there could be in a corporate environment. But also what I usually do or love to do is designing or creating non-human personas, really talking about environmental stakeholders that we affect in a negative way with our digital products, but also can affect in a positive way. So really thinking about nature, about certain ecosystems, about animals, about oceans, rivers, and all kinds of things that we have an impact on. I can do that for myself just to center myself more into the environmental aspect in my work. But of course, if I do that with the client or with the company and really all centering on environmental stakeholders and non-human personas does help a lot. And when I do it and people are open to it, it absolutely affects their way of business and how they do business as well, not just the design itself for a digital product, but the whole business. So that is, for example, one thing if I want to, in bigger corpora uh, corporations, really want to hone in on the user journeys and reducing click paths and therefore energy consumption and carbon emissions, then I can do user journey mappings. Of course, if there's huge digital products, I have to do that with the team as well. And I can do it without mentioning uh, ecological sustainability. So it's just a typical UX method, but I can also introduce sustainability within uh, user journey maps and talk about every single step and their ecological impact throughout a user journey. So yeah, that's of course things that I then have to discuss with the team or with the client or with the company. So those are the bigger things that need to be done. And what I often have as a freelancer, and I, I do a couple of projects for a very long time and a couple of years um, supporting certain projects, but sometimes it's just a one-time thing and you set it up. It's a new design, it's a redesign, everything's good and ecologically sustainable, cool. But then you visit this website or application a year or two later and then you see that there's new imagery, for example, on a website that is suddenly, again, very big and very heavy. <laughs> and you're like, ah, no. And then you write an email about, hey, can you compress that and still think about the workflow of data reduction and stuff so you don't have everything in your own hands, especially if um, the daily workflows just are different for the people you're working with. So you have to sometimes remind people to scale and compress and export in the right format and things like that. Now, 
you shared a lot about do, don't, depending the context, flying under the radar, or uh, on the other end, convincing your customers and raising awareness. Uh, I'd like uh, the three of us to take a step back and very simple question, what is the trend? What did you notice this last years in our industry? Are you optimistic about a way towards more sustainability? As uh, Chris Adams liked to say, a fossil-free internet by 2030, or not that much? Over the years, I've seen many trends, um, <laughs> but, but honestly, most of them has, has been for the worse. What I mean is that like, we see more and more of these uh, heavy images, videos, unused code, power-hungry themes, and, and such on, on websites. And like when, Whenever I personally have talked to people about this, I've heard comments such as, it doesn't really matter because you know the internet is so fast, so uh, 200 kilobyte image or a two and a half megabyte image it doesn't really matter and then i kind of like you know i have to go in and explain all of these and uh, things like geographical reach like you know making the websites faster for even uh, people you know living in places where where they have like slow internet connections all of these things so so yeah i, I definitely think like as the internet speed becomes faster the trend is going for the worse that is what sustainable web design is trying to turn around again so that it, so that we can focus on creating lighter and faster websites that are more accessible, uh, has a greater reach uh, to people, uh, just like we used to do. Back when, back when the internet was very slow, you know, everyone had like a 50k modem, if you remember those. And if we can like spread awareness of how much the internet pollutes, then we will open the eyes you know, for, for more people and change the culture of what is happening right now. So it's a battle of technological trend versus uh, ecological awareness, I would say. Okay, a fair point. And, and Sandy, how do you foresee uh, the future and what are the trends that you've noticed recently? Well, I'm very hopeful, <laughs> let's say this way. Um, I've seen in the last years that I have had an eye on this uh, bubble, this niche, that there's more and more designers and developers caring for it and actually talking about it there is much more discussion and I know we are still at the very beginning of this topic and I know that there are so many more things to come especially when we also talk about UX research and information architecture and stuff like that that I have high hopes that many more cool things are coming along to help us to design in a greener and more sustainable way. And I love that there's so many more designers and developers joining and talking about it because if there's more designers talking about it, then actually companies and brands and clients are seeing that it is even a thing. But at the same time, I absolutely agree that we have to fight the new generation of very short form video-based content as well as artificial intelligence uh, tools. So we do have to yeah, fight for more ecological sustainability in even more because there's so much data, data heaviness out there in different forms now than it has been in 
10 years or 20 years ago. But I am very hopeful that we will get that. Me too. This is what I get up every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I I just want to point out to uh, to my comment on it that it was definitely not supposed to be meant as uh, as like a dark pessimistic uh, version. <laughs> um, I, I I am definitely optimistic about it, as I see it. So many people around the world right now don't know that data pollutes and. I think that is the problem right now because we see so many people interested and involved in the environment, you know, trying to remove plastic and uh, all of these acts that leads us in the right direction. But but these people, they have been made aware that we have a climate crisis right now. But so many people still don't know that every single kilobyte or megabyte pollutes uh, because of uh, electricity consum uh, consumptions and and you know devices being built like all of these things that both uh, Tom and Jeremy Govan talks about well what i was trying to to uh, explain with my comment is that we we need to talk about the problem and you know make more people aware even people outside of web design and web development like even the the regular website owner needs to to be aware of this because we we all have a responsibility in this like the data we pollute is the data that we need to maintain and remove once it's no, uh, no longer valid. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. This is why I'm less shy now, uh, reaching out to people on social networks or, you know, in conference or whatever, saying, hey, by the way, you know, are you aware? I mean, you look like, because people mention climate change, sustainability, et cetera, and I'm like, oh, you're in the tech industry, you know, you're IT folks or designer. Are you aware of the environmental footprint? No, well, boom, you should listen to uh, the podcast. You should uh, read this book or uh, you should uh, join a digital collage workshop, uh, you know, to raise awareness, et cetera, et cetera. I'm actually, some people listening to the show for the very first time have been connected quite recently to me with me dropping a few lines saying, hey, by the way, you know, this is the podcast, just maybe it can be useful, use it. If not, no big deal. I'm not here to sell you anything. But uh, yeah, I welcome all the new listeners, obviously. Which uh, leads me to the last question about resources. So obviously, you folks created quite very useful uh, resources. Um, so I'd like both of you to mention them again. And on top of that, what would be all the resources that you would advise people to know more about sustainable design, uh, sustainable uh, web dev, or even sustainably in general? Yeah, I, I, I wrote this book, uh, Sustainable Web Design in 20 Lessons. Um, and uh, I, I did it to, to give people a chance to get into sustainable web design without having to invent the, the deep plate over and over. Uh, after reading Tom Greenwood's book, Sustainable Web Design, I was like fully into what the problem was, but I was, I was hungry for solutions, things that I could like take to my website directly to make it better. Um, and since I didn't really find, you know, books out there uh, directly attacking this problem, I decided to create my own. After reading the book Atomic Habits, I figured out that if we take just 1% and we improve that again and again and again, we will eventually have the best version of the product. And that's what I'm trying to do with this. I'm finding all of these small things and putting them into lessons that both a web designer, developer, or even even like the, the, you know, the, the non-tech savvy website owner can use 
funny story, right after uh, writing this book, I gave it to my mom. <laughs> uh, and she is not into technology at all. Like She is that type of person who asks uh, my dad every time that she needs to do something on her phone or when the TV is, is tricky to, uh, to use. And after reading the book, she came to me and she said, now I finally understand what you're doing. And you actually wrote it in a language that is relatively easy to understand, even for someone like me who's not into technology. And that's what I wanted to do. That, that's a very big compliment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I was very happy when, when she said that, because that is exactly what I was trying to do, like create a book that would be easy to consume for everyone. Because to create a sustainable World Wide Web, we have to include everyone, even the website owners that does not get help from web designers and web developers. And do you have any other resources, one or two, that you'd like to share with uh, the audience? Uh, yeah, um, I actually have three. Uh, I will definitely uh, recommend people to read uh, Tom Greenwood's book, uh, Sustainable Web Design. It gave me so much knowledge about sustainable web design and what the problem is. Uh, so for everyone who wants to get into it, it's a really, really good starter book. Um, I will also recommend uh, Worldwide Waste from Jerry McGovern. Um, that gives you really, really good insight into how much uh, everything pollutes. The last resource that I want to recommend is uh, the Ethical Design Handbook by Trine Felbe. That was definitely also um, a great book for me to read because instead of only focusing on the environment and optimization, you also focus on the user journey. Like web Websites has to be ethical, honest, uh, and focus on, on the best of users instead of focusing only on creating a sale by scarcity or yeah, what, what, whatever tricks in a book that, that comes up and, and is used today. Well, thanks a lot, Michael. And yeah, both Tom and Jerry's books are uh, very often mentioned on the show, but I'm, it's always a pleasure to put them in the show notes and to have uh, more people uh, sharing and understanding things, uh, thanks to them. So thanks a lot for that. Sandy, do you want to add other resources? Yeah, sure. Well, I definitely recommend the ones that Michael said, and usually I also mention this podcast as a resource to check out. Um, Thanks a lot. We <laughs> always recommend it. As well as Michael's book, I uh, was honored to actually happen to read it already. I'm almost through it. <laughs> it's really um, cool to read and a lot of amazing and interesting things in there that I can still learn about, especially the technical parts because I'm not, not a developer. Um, are very interesting. So well done, Michael. And I, well, I definitely would recommend my podcast as well. <laughs> so the Green the Web you podcast. You must. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that and sharing more about, it's also about green and social sustainability in especially UX and UI design. So I'm more into that side of like user research and design rather than development, what you both do brilliantly. And I really like the sentence that Michael mentioned earlier about hungry for solutions, which is why I do also a lot of or share a lot of solutions and things for others to have an easier entrance into the topic of it. So 
I do have on my website also linked templates, for example, for non-human personas or for user journey mappings. So it's easier to not just think about, okay, I could do that, but how could I do that? But actually just using it for free. Um, so there's templates on my website for things like that. There is even a blog as well. I, As you mentioned in the very beginning, I recently... I think two weeks ago, I launched a course about, it's an online course about green UX and UI design for others to have an easier entrance, to not just guess and read blog posts through like hundreds of blog posts in a year and then still not knowing what to actually do <laughs> in what order and what there can be done in every single design process. So in the course, it's about uh, user research, environmental stakeholder research, the information architecture, the UI design, as well as the development handoff. So there's all kinds of things throughout a typical design process for a UX and UI designers to step out of the guesswork. And then I would absolutely also recommend, well, I have a full a resource a recommendation list on my website and the ones Michael mentioned before are on that as well even also the ethical design handbook I really love that one as well and I'm very much into communities as I know uh, Gail you're as well for example the climate action tech community the sustainable UX community of feeling like there is actually other people who care about the same things as I do and to not feel lost or to not feel alone of I'm just one single person that does something about it, but there's actually others and I can actually ask them about feedback or about like just answers to questions that I have. And especially if I or you don't have people around you that are in that mindset already, it helps tremendously. So I'd definitely check communities out as well thanks a lot sandy for sharing all these resources and especially mentioning the climate action tech community my little darling or actually not that little darling community uh not that little community because um several thousands uh, of uh, techies are uh, into this one and once again a big thank you to both of you that was great to have you on the show sharing all those insights playing a bit the games of the worst uh, cases when it comes to website designs but also all these very practical tips so thanks a lot for joining and i hope that both your podcast and your book and your courses and all the great materials that you uh, give away uh, will be very successful and that it will help to raise awareness among many many people around the world so thanks a lot thank you so much for inviting us it was really cool love it thank you very much it's been a wonderful time and that's it thank you for listening to green io make sure to subscribe to the mailing list to stay up to date on new episodes if you enjoyed this one feel free to share it on social media or with any friends or colleagues who could benefit from it as a non-profit podcast, we rely on you to spread the word. Last but not the least, if you know someone who would make a great guest, please send them my way so that we can make our digital world greener one bite at a time.